We are Grace Church International, a spirit-filled, multicultural, worshiping community. One church in two locations. Today's message is preached by Bishop Jonathan Alvarado. We pray that it reaches you no matter where you are and equips you to be a more developed Christian disciple. We've read from the book of Malachi today, chapter number one. Typically, the hallmark text for tithing is Malachi chapter three. But in conversation and discerning the will of God for our time together, I began several weeks ago uh, preparing um, my sermonizing, my, uh, uh, the, my sermon preparation for this season of grace that's upon us. And in so doing, uh, uh, you know, I'm always open and discerning to what the Spirit is saying in conversation with my father, uh, Bishop Lafayette Scales. One of the th- he began to share with me one of the things the Lord impressed upon him, and that, that resonated so deeply within me. I'm going to begin in Malachi, and I may stay in Malachi the whole time. Because Malachi and the surrounding uh, uh, socioeconomic things that were happening with the people of God was of paramount importance in the economy of God to God, to God's people, and to the advancement of God's church. Here, I want you to hear this. The book of Malachi is a prophetic book that describes the condition of the people of God and their disposition that brought them to that condition. Malachi is not only a prophetic book that describes the condition but it describes the disposition that brought them to that condition. In it, the prophet looks at causality, not just results. He correlates their disposition with their words and their words with their works. Though there is an overtone of correction, there is much positivity to be derived from the text. Even though Malachi is telling the people of their sin, he's offering them hope for a brighter future if they align themselves with the will of God. I think that this is extremely important for us today because Malachi not only is speaking is speaking, I'm sorry, not it, it, because Malachi is speaking broadly to the people of God. He's not speaking to any particular individual. The voice of God coming through Malachi is speaking to the broad community, which suggests, hear me on this part, God is not just interested in what we do individually with our resources, but God is interested in how we collectively operate as the people of God concerning our resources. Now, I know that sometimes, theologically, we struggle with that because we've been oriented to an individualistic salvation and a way of approaching God that is only me and Jesus. But I'd like to suggest to you today, and maybe even proffer as a more healthy notion of understanding what it means to be the people of God, is that we are God's people in community, and what we do individually always impacts, influences, and is, and is, is caught up in the broader meta-narrative that is the story of God's people, not the story of God's person. Secondly, 
Or thirdly, I, I think that it's important that we understand not only that God deals with us in terms of, inst, uh, of, of uh, institutionally and broad, more broadly speaking as a people than he does so as individuals, but I think it's also important that the focus and emphasis in the book of Malachi, even though he is prescriptive in how we should fix these things, he is more after our disposition. Let's all say disposition. Now, let me just say this to you, and you probably have the whole sermon when I give you this one line. So, Lynn, here's the thing. Uh, uh, disposition always guides our condition. Okay, when I was a, a boy, they used to say stuff like this. Uh, your attitude develop, uh, it determines your altitude. Okay, now we, we speak of that when we speak of our, our forward-thinking, progressive notions of, of be, ways of being in the world. But I'd just like to suggest to you today that when God was dealing with, the, with, the, with Israel in this uh, post-exilic prophetic writing, he was uh, talking to them primarily about disposition. Let's all say disposition. Now, I want, I want to emphasize that just for a moment at the outset in these first three minutes of, of, of my sermonizing today because I want you to hear me on that. Because the hardest things to, to, thing to change in people oftentimes is their disposition. I've come to discover people will do things differently but still have the wrong attitude. And I've come to discover, y'all, that when disposition, which is a matter of the heart, is transformed, that's where our whole lives are transformed. Where God changes us and makes us his people indeed. So... I want to take us through this, this, this chapter very, very quickly. I want you to understand that it, as, a, as we're coming up to this verse that we read today, that God loves his people, and thus God's people carry God's favor. In verses 2 through 5, God expresses his love for his people. God expresses his love for his people in a comparative analysis. He says, I've loved you, and Edom I've hated. The descendants of Esau I've hated. You're Jacob's descendants, and I've loved you, but Esau's descendants, I've hated. Now, I'm, I'm not going to get into who God loves and who God hates. I'm not going to fight with you theologically about God loving everybody. Hey, you know, God loves everybody. But let me just say something to you. Um, there's something good to know about being the people of God that I'll just, I feel I'm in a safe zone, Al, if I just say it like this. Um, God feels differently about his people than anybody else. I think the scripture bears me out really, really well in understanding that God feels much differently about his own than he does about anybody else. And I'm not trying to, to give you any kind of sense of pride or place because I want to also warn you to make sure that you're his own. See, I, th th there are privileges, y'all, that come from being my children that nobody else has, I'm kind to a lot of people. I'm benevolent to a lot of people. I'm helpful where a lot of people are concerned. But there is a particular privilege of being a child of Jonathan and Tony Alvarado that is only afforded to those. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And God seems to have the same disposition when he approaches them. He says to them, y'all are mine and I have done things for you that I don't do for nobody else. And sometimes we are not generous because we simply don't realize how good God has been to us in favoring us above other people's. And well, I don't feel favored. I don't feel like God has done any more for me. But let me just say something to you. Just think about how it could have been in your life. 
Y'all haven't thought about it yet. Because if you're sitting there staring at me, if you're just looking at me like a bump on a log, you have not thought about how things could and perhaps should have gone in your life except for the grace of God. There you and I would be, except God had dealt with you favorably. Other people died doing some of the same stuff that you did. Other people are locked up right now who have done the same things that you did. Other people are in an insane asylum right now. Crazy, twitching somewhere doing some of the same things that you did and yet here you and I are and I'm telling you it's only because in some way God found a way to be gracious and kind and favored us. So he starts the text off by saying you're my people. I feel some, some kind of way about you. I favored you. I've lifted you up above your, your, all of your fellows, your peers, and all those other inhabitants of the land. God then feels differently about his people. Secondly, I want you to know that God has an expectation of his people whom he's loved and favored. I know I got that right because of verse, verse number six is, uh, uh, the, the verse, our text today, he goes through all this diatribe in verses two, two through five to explain how he has favored his people above all the other peoples of the earth. And then he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I, if then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. God is expressing in this verse an expectation. Everybody say expectation. Now, here's the challenge because we have oriented us in a 21st century Christian understanding not to have any kind of expectation. I just do, I just give out of love. I just do because I just love the love. But let me tell you something. God has an expectation. God said, I've been good to you, so I expect y'all to do right by me. I didn't get many amens right there. That's because it's hard to say amen with 180 pounds jumping up and down on your little toe. But let me just say something to you about this. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I am coming to, I'm reading the text a little differently nowadays. The older I get, the more I read the text with a little more of a lens on it that says, you know what? I need to find out what's in this for me. David said when he was going to fight Goliath, everybody wants to make David all this noble man. But the last thing David said to the king, uh, last thing he said rather to the soldiers before he went to tell the king he would fight Goliath was, mm, let, let me ask a question here. What will be given to the man that slays the giant? Y'all think, y'all don't like it. Y'all think I make stuff up. Y'all to read your Bible. Turn off Empire and read the Bible and you'll find out this stuff is in there. David said, what is in it for me? Because David had an expectation. If I go out here and do this great thing, then I expect something to happen in my life. I, David got that expectation from God. God said, I've been too good to you for you to behave toward me the way you behave toward me. Al, I'm, I'm operating in this season of my life uh, with, 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 with a different kind of sense, set of sensibilities. I am no longer letting people just behave toward me any kind of way, particularly the ones I've been really good to. I'm not, no, 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 no. Some of y'all think, and some, some people will think that this is unpastoral and unloving and unchristlike. But let me tell you something. You're not going to not come to church, not be in service, not be in prayer. Not being anything that will enrich your spirituality. Then have a crisis and expect me to drop everything to go see about you. Look how some of y'all are looking at me now. That's not very pastoral. Oh my God, I can't no love in this church. The devil is a liar. You've been asleep while I've been in 24-hour prayer. And then you want me to get up out my bed again when you have a crisis and you didn't help me come pray it through? Somebody say expectation. 
See, friends, some of us are frustrated because we don't understand that to whom much is given, much is required. God expresses to the people, I have an expectation. I have been good to you, therefore I have an expectation of you. The prophet then instructs the people curiously in verse number 9. He says, but now entreat God's favor. Here's my, the, the principle that I want you to understand. God can be provoked. God's favorable disposition can be invoked in your life and mine. The prophet understands that since God has been good to us and we have fallen out of favor through disposition and action, that actions and dispositions can invoke God's favor, kindness, and benefit toward us. I think it's important that we understand that, friends, because I think too many of us live haphazardly, not understanding that the way that we interact with the house of God and the way that we offer offerings in the house of God and our service of worship unto God and the, the, the effervescence with which we approach God is oftentimes the predicating factor that either invokes or repels the benefit and blessing of God in our lives. Somebody say it after me, God can be provoked. So then he goes on, he goes on, I'm moving really fast. Then he goes on and, 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 and says, but, but you profane the house of God in several ways. I'm going to give you these things so that way you can have a remedy to them. The way we invoke God's favor is by eradicating attitudes and actions that offend him. This was Israel's biggest challenge. He lists several things that they needed to change in order for them to realize another level of God's pleasure in their lives. Now, let me make sure I've got the right congregation here and that I'm not preaching, just preaching to the wind. Is there anybody here that wants to see another level of God's benefit in your life? Is there anybody here that could use God, uh, an upgrade, a 2.0, a, a, a move to the next uh, level of God? Okay, so I got the, 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 the five members of the worship team. Okay, all right. That's all right. I, I'm going to... If y'all hadn't done so well today, I'd talk further about that. But y'all did so well today. Y'all were annoyed. Y'all slipped up and got anointed today. I'm just trying to figure out. And now, stay with me now. It's probably because Celine was singing with y'all again. Um, um, uh, Israel's biggest challenge was the fact that they had not eradicated attitudes and actions that repelled God's favor. So he lists here several things. And I'm going to go through them quickly. And I want you to hear them practically. He says, um, he says, in verse number 12, he says, but you profane it in that you say, everybody say, they said the wrong stuff. Okay, listen. They say, the table of the Lord is defiled. Listen to me carefully. They were speaking evil of the means that God provided to be able to approach unto him. The table of the Lord was the house of worship. The table of the Lord was the place that was prepared. The table of the Lord was the thing that they came, approached unto to be able to access the presence of God. And they said, ah, that thing's defiled anyway. They said stuff like, there are too many hypocrites in church. They said stuff like, ain't nobody real. They said that this thing ain't about nothing anyway. They spoke evil of the house of God. Let me tell you how to, how to remedy this. Speak well of his house. I just want to encourage you. If you want to invoke the favor of God in the area of your finances and, and in the area of your, of your, of your growth and, and opportunities to come back into favor with God at new levels, speak well of his house. 
I'm always concerned that every time some jackass puts something out on Facebook that Christians jump on board with it. Y'all have heard that word before. Y'all Y'all play too many games with me. That Christians get on board says that that's why I don't go to church no more. I'm always concerned that, that too many Christians promote things that are negative concerning the house of God. I just want you to encourage three people around you and tell them, speak well of his house. Now listen, I, I'm talking to the 8 o'clock congregation, so I'm presuming that y'all that got out of bed a little early may have just a smidgen uh, more readiness to hear this insight that I'm about to give you. Uh, and, and that is this. I know this is deep and revelatory, uh, and you might not be ready to hear this, but, but there's no such thing as a perfect place. I know that's real deep. I know that y'all, y'all, yeah. But, but let me tell y'all something. You have, to, you have to speak well of the house of God. Let me, let me okay, I'm going to extend this truth. Didn't gamble. Listen to this. Uh, the challenge is, is that most people don't understand that the way to improve the situation is not to speak negatively of the situation. No matter what the situation is, speak well of it. Because you don't attract what you want. You attract what you let out of your mouth. There's always something you can say negative about anything or anybody. And the Bible says that they profaned the house of God by saying the temp that this table is defiled. The antithesis of that is to speak well. Everybody say, speak well of the house. Just find somebody you haven't spoken to and look at it. And I want you to say it with a clear and competent witness. Tell them, you've got to speak well of this house. Because this is the house that God uses to bless our lives. And if you don't speak well of it, I just might hit you in the mouth. Go on and tell them. Speak well of this house. Not only that same verse, same verse. The text says uh, you profane it because you're saying the wrong things. He says, he says, not only that, he said, he said, speak well of the house. You're saying that the house is defiled, the table's defiled, but you better speak well of it. He said, the second thing that you're saying is the food that comes out of the house is contemptible. I want you to see it. It's in your Bibles. It's in verse number 12. He says, the table of the Lord, y'all are saying stuff like the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit is contemptible. I'd just like to suggest to you today that every sermon isn't just for everybody. Oh, come on. I've been in church all my life. There are some Sundays you come and you be like, whoa, that was for me. Oh, that word. Some of y'all be coming out testifying and telling me, saying stuff. And, and, and say, Bishop, when you said so-and-so, and, -so, and I'm, though I'm grinning and though I'm nodding, I don't recall saying some of the stuff y'all say. But the Holy Ghost oftentimes will give you just what you need through the words. But it ain't like that every Sunday. I know I got that right because I'm an adult. I'm an adult. I'm a grown man. Y'all sound very childlike when you say stuff like, I'm not getting that, just don't feed me. I didn't get fed. I didn't get fed. That's like children. Let me tell you why. There's a difference between I don't like this and this is not good. I don't like exercising. But it's good. Come on, y'all don't like me because I tell the truth. I told you, if you get past this first message, we'll shout a while after, after, afterward. Uh, children don't like vegetables. But it's good. Adults eat them and enjoy them and figure out ways to fix them so that they're more palatable. 
Why? Because we recognize everything that's good to you ain't good for you, and everything that's good for you ain't good to you. So you got to have some stuff that's good to you, even though it's mean, it good for you, even though sometimes it ain't good to you. They spoke contemptibly about the word that came out, the food that was being fed in the house. Let me tell you all something. I don't care how many social media campaigns you have. I don't care how many flyers you put out. I don't care how much you put on television broadcasts. I don't care how many internet commercials you have. I don't care all the things that we do to try to get people to come to church. Let me tell you what brings people to church. You opening up your mouth and telling people there's a word from the Lord at 3434 Pleasantdale Road or 6558 Fielder Road. There is a word from the Lord. And if you go, go going out, if you and I are going out of the house of God and all we have is like we've been to McDonald's and we just ran through the drive-thru because we was hungry and we really don't have no nutritional value, no real succulence to the meal. If we just dealing with it on the normal and the ordinary and don't learn to appreciate how actually good and palatable it is to be able to be in this house. And let me tell you something. I found out something about ghetto children. I found out something about ghetto. I did because I was raised in the ghetto. I was raised in the ghetto. And so I, I see, I didn't know. I thought good food tasted funny because I was raised on government cheese. So when I finally got to the place where I could buy good food, it tasted funny to me. Somebody say ghetto children. Ghetto. Ghetto children. Ghetto children don't know what good food tastes like. When you grow up on government cheese, you think that's all the cheese. What's the big tin thing that the peanut butter is supposed to come in? You know, the kind that you have to pour the oil off the top of because it gets the oil rolls up to you. Y'all not saying nothing to me now. Y'all know the kind that's so thick you got to warm it up on your knife because it tears up your bread. Y'all don't like me because y'all ain't never lived in the ghetto. I didn't know what good food tasted like. And so when I finally got to some good food, I was like, this tastes funny. Because I was raised on ghetto food. And part of the problem in the contemporary church is some of us don't know good food from ghetto food. So we leave out of a gourmet meal saying, that is just okay. It just tastes a little funny. I don't know. It should have had some ketchup. I'm always, y'all, y'all, niggas, I mean, people are funny going into, in the, in the, be here. You, funny, don't know how to, just go to Ruth Chris Steakhouse asking for A1. If you can afford a steak at Ruth Chris, don't put nothing on it. Oh, my God, it's cooked to perfection. And if it isn't, send it back. Well, you bring me some Worcestershire sauce, but this, this is a little bit just not like. Somebody holler, ghetto food, ghetto. That's your Speak well of the house. Accentuate the blessings of eating from the Lord's table. Number three. He indicted them and said, you profane the house because look at this, look at this. I don't want you to think I made this up. Look at verse 13. I'm, i got to move fast. i got to move fast. i got to be done in, in five minutes. He, oh, he says, he says, you profane the house because you say the table is defiled. You say the food is contemptible. And then you say, you also say, verse 13, oh, what a weariness. Listen to this disposition. 
Listen to what he's saying. You profane the house of God because you talk about the house that, that, that feeds you. You talk about the food that's served. You talk about how tiring and burdensome and bothersome it is. Malachi could have been writing to us today because I can't tell you how many people are not burned out from shopping but burned out from worship. I can't tell you how many people are not burned. They ain't burned out from traveling, but they burned out from coming to the house of God. Oh, that's just, oh, we got to do that again. Oh, Lord, have mercy. First Sunday, we got to put them garments on again. Like, this is such a burden. And if you or I were somewhere where we couldn't dress ourselves, we'd be happy to be able to put on anything to come in the house of God. And it, the text, I didn't make it up. The text said God indicted the people of God. And so the practical implication of this is manage life so that we're not weary toward God's house. What do you mean, Bishop? Manage life so we're not weary toward God's house. When I was preparing Minister Aaron, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, the people aren't really weary with me. He said, the people have busied their lives to the point that the only place they can find rest is by moving away from me. Okay, let me see if I can say that more plainly. Some of y'all do every doggone thing you want to do and then are too tired to honor God and then blame the house of God for your weariness. You ain't weary with God. Life. Some of us don't think if I've got, I got to be in the house of God on Sunday. So I need to get, if, I need, if I'm going to come back from vacation on Saturday, I got to go on and get on the road and get in the airport and do what I need to do so that way I can be fresh. Because I don't understand needing a rest day from your vacation. Y'all don't like me because I tell the truth. And I ain't scared of nobody. It's the truth, whether I tell it or not. It's the truth, whether I say it in the morning. You ain't weary from God's house. And I'm always amazed how people have energy for every doggone thing else they want to do. You and I can rip and run. I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't understand. My, ch my young adult children will tell you right now that we don't make provisions and allowances for that stuff. You can do any doggone thing else you want to do in life. You getting your hips up and getting into the house of God. And you know, they was they had a soccer game yesterday, and then they had to go to the, the, the Johnny's birthday party was yesterday afternoon. And he was so tired when he got home from, from the birthday party. And I tell you what, then he woke up halfway in the evening. And so he stayed there and ate some popcorn and watched the movie. He was up a little later than he normally is. So I just let him sleep in today. The devil is a liar. You ain't weary with God's house. You weary with all the other stuff you have put into your life that you've prioritized above God's house. Come on. His statement also spoke of the people's attitude towards God. Relieve ourselves of the attitude that service in the house of God is wearisome. 
you and I have to relieve ourselves of that attitude. Verse 13b says that, 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 that they also sneered at the house of God. That, that Hebrew word means that they, they huffed. They, <laughs> they breathed out disparagingly. They sneered. Listen to these dispositions, y'all. Not only that. Finally, and this is where I'm closing. You profane the house because the table of the Lord is defiled, so speak well of the house. You profane the house because you say its food is contemptible, so accentuate the benefit of eating from the Lord's table. You profane the house by saying, oh, this is a burden, a wearisome. This makes is wearisome. Manage your life so you're not so weary toward God's house. You profane the house of God by mocking the house, sneering at the house, deriding the house of God, not understanding that this is the place where God meets us transforms us, nourishes us, and sets us forth for his purposes. But then he said, and you profane the house because you don't bring the right offerings into the house of Lord. He said, you're bringing stuff. But verse 13 says, you bring stolen stuff, lame and sick offerings into the house of Lord. See, in the economy of Israel, they didn't bring monetary gifts. They brought livestock and the fruit of the ground. They brought the first fruits to God. And the commandment was to bring the first and the best. It had to have been inspected to make sure that it had no blemishes. It had to be the best of what we had was offered first to God. And he said, what? Y'all are meeting the requirement in that you bring something. But what you're bringing is now profaning the house of God because in your minds, this is the disposition. Least I gave something. But the text says that the people of God profaned the house of God because the stuff they brought was stolen. It, it wasn't theirs. It wasn't the fruit of their labor. It was stolen. The stuff that they brought was lame. It was useful for nothing else. You know, a lame offering. The kind that won't buy a Happy Meal out in the street. When something is lame, it's not useful for anything else. A lame offering is the kind that can't accomplish anything when you have the opportunity and the ability to do something that could be efficacious and accomplish something. It's amazing to me that people offer in the house of God what they wouldn't offer at a movie theater. It's amazing to me that people think they're doing God. They're really doing God a solid. Offering God something that they wouldn't offer at a fast food restaurant. Chick-fil-A costs more than what some people are giving in the house of God. And we think we're doing something because we're supporting a Christian business. Uh, newsflash, the first Christian business is the house of God. Wouldn't be no Chick-fil-A without the church of Jesus Christ. Y'all not saying nothing to me now. I thought I saw this going differently in my mind because I thought I could build you up with all the good stuff and promote God. God's going to do something for you. The text says lame offerings. Listen, 
Then he goes on and says, sick offerings. And I was thinking about why that would be such a provocation against God and why that would profane the house of God so deeply. And it dawned upon me that sick offerings infect good offerings. If you bring a sick sheep and put it with the other sheep that others have set aside that are healthy, that are the choice sheep from their flock, and you bring old sickly sheep, the illness and disease of the sick sheep tends to infect the healthy sheep, and thus all the offerings become My concern is that in our church, real talk, sick offerings are taken over good offerings. The percentage of sickly offerings is rising. And there are, uh, there's a diminishing percentage of those of us who are fighting to stay alive with healthy offerings brought in the house of the Lord. And God said, this profanes his house. So how do we do, how do we, how do we remedy that? I'm trying to give you some practical steps. Purify your offering to the Lord. What does that mean? Is my offering to the Lord what God has asked me to give him? Is my offering to the Lord a tithe? When I hold that envelope up and say, I thank God and every member of Grace Church International is a tithe. Is this really a tithe? Okay, maybe you're not at the place of faith where you're tithing. I get that. People have to grow incrementally. But is this a representative gift? Do my shoes cost more than what I have in this envelope? Was I paid more than what is representative in this envelope for how good God has been? Am I still, after five or ten years of being a member and then a, a leader and then even an officer in the church of God, still honoring or giving God five dollars, seven dollars, a trinity offering, three dollars? I was over in the, in the bank and I was standing waiting on the teller because I don't believe in all that going through the, the, the drive through like some of y'all do with ATM stuff. I like talking to a human being every now and then. I stand like, we can help you right over here at the ATM. No, no, no. I want to wait for the teller. And while I was waiting, the vault door was open over there with the safety deposit box. And, and uh, it was a curious conversation that was going on. At first, I thought it was a manager and a, and, a, and a teller back there in the back talking, but I noticed that it was the currency back there talking. And the $100 bill was saying to the $50 bill, Man, where you been? I haven't seen you in a while. $50 bill. Looked up at the $100 bill. Said, well, I've been making down payments on cars, and I've been in the malls buying clothes. $100 bill said, yeah, I've been on vacations, and I've been paying for weddings and doing all kinds of uh, great stuff, cruises and, and air travel. I got, you know, I got 100,000 free flyer miles to my credit. I started listening more intently, and the $20 bill and the $10 bill was talking. $100 bill said, yeah, I've been in the grocery stores, and I've been at the gas stations. $10 bill said, yeah, I've been at the confectionaries, at the book bookstores for children when they had book fairs at school. 
and going on field trips. The $5 bill chimed in and said, yeah, I've been buying school lunches and school breakfasts and snacks at work. And most of my time is spent at Starbucks, though. I start listening even more intently. And, and, and I'll say, well, what's, what's the $1 bill in there saying? And I listened and kept it, and the $1 bill was in there going, hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. church. You're a first time visitor. Please forgive me. That's, that's, sometimes they need to laugh. When they don't shout, they need to laugh. Come on. Let's make ready to bring the Lord his time. If this message has blessed you, join us as we seek to change lives by reaching and equipping people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on Facebook at Grace Church International, on Instagram at Grace Church INTL ATL, or on our website at www.gracechurchintl.org. If you would like to partner with us in our mission, you can donate on PayPal at www.paypal.me slash gracechurchintl on Cash App at dollar sign gracechurchintl or on our website at www.gracechurchintlatl.org slash giving. Now go in grace and the grace of God go with you.